Welcome to On The Ledge Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Perone. And no, that wasn't a script error. According to the Urban Dictionary, Hoya is an alternative form of greeting to hi. So that's how I'm going to be starting out my conversations from now on, because this week's show is dedicated to the Hoya plant family. And with the help of my guest, Doug Chamberlain of Vermont Hoyers, I'll be answering all your Hoyer queries, finding out how to grow these wonderful climbing and trailing plants and immersing ourselves into the wonderful world of the wax plant. Just a teeny bit of housekeeping before we get started with the show proper. Have you checked out On The Ledger's merchandise shop yet? If you're getting quick, there's free delivery on all orders until February the 2nd, so bag yourself a mug, t-shirt or hoodie with the fantastic new On The Ledge logo on it. You can choose from black and white or shades of green, and I'm really pleased with the quality of this merch. It really does look fantastic, so do check it out. Just follow the shop link at the top of my homepage at janeperone.com. And a gentle plea to all you listeners. If you're not signed up for my newsletter, please do go and get that sorted straight away because there will be a newsletter winging its way to my subscribers in the next week or so. It's easy enough to subscribe. Just click on the newsletter link in the top right hand corner of my website. Speaking of which, that's about to get a fancy new redesign. So please do take a look at that and let me know what you think of it once it's there. You'll know when it's done because it's going to look fantastic. Well, maybe I should let you be the judge of that, actually. In this month's newsletter, you'll find my top tips for really nice plant-related Valentine's gifts. I found some fantastic companies selling some awesome stuff. So if you're looking for a gift for that special planty person in your life, do check that out. And I'm also gathering questions for upcoming interviews on African violets and epiphytic cacti, which includes Christmas cactus, Easter cactus, Hattiorus, Lepismium and Rispsalis. So if you've got any questions about any of those plants, then do let me know so I can quiz my experts. Right, now it's time to chat to Doug. If you've not come across Doug before, he runs a YouTube channel and a website called Vermont Hoyers, and he grows more than 100 Hoyers in his home in Vermont. If you've never come across the wax plant before, Hoyers are the most wonderful and easy to grow house plant. Hoyas look exotic, but most of them are actually pretty easy to grow, so they're fantastic plants if you're just starting out with your houseplant collection. Even if you think you've never come across a Hoya before, you probably have, because a Hoya species called Hoya kerii is responsible for those heart-shaped leaves in pots that you see around this time of year at Valentine's Day. I find out a little bit more about those a bit later with Doug, but first I want to find out a bit more about Doug's own collection. 
And I know I say this almost every week, but please do visit the show notes at janeperone.com and read along while you're listening. That way you'll get to see some of the beautiful plants that we're talking about, because some of the Latin names are long in this one. Yes, Hoya McGillivray, I am looking at you. Doug, your Hoya collection is somewhat legendary. Whenever people talk about Hoyas, you inevitably come up online when I'm looking at at various Facebook groups and things. This is obviously something you've got really deep into. How many Hoya species and cultivars do you think you've got? Is it, are we talking about dozens? Well, I I try to keep my collection to around a hundred plants. Any, any more than that, and it becomes quite difficult to to take care of. So I, I'm, I'm moving them in and moving them out um, quite a bit. And how did this obsession start? Was it like most of us, you start off with just being, you know, picking up a plant in the garden center or being given one and then it spirals from there? That's exactly what happened to me. I, I picked up a, I was always a foliage plant kind of guy and I, I knew nothing about Hoyas. I, I picked up an extremely small plant at a it wasn't even a garden center. It was a building supply store, Home Depot. It was a tiny little plant in a three-inch pot, and I just kind of liked the leaves. And it said uh, Hoya rubra on it, um, which meant nothing to me. So I took it home, and I put it on the windowsill, and it began to grow and and grow. And um, it, it just it turned into quite a spectacular plant after a couple of years. And then, then it, lo and behold, it flowered. And and that that was it. I I was in love with them from from that point forward. That's a wonderful thing when you find that plant that really makes you get very excited and and you just love that plant and you want to grow it. That's a wonderful feeling when you find that plant that that really does it for you. I think that's that's fantastic. And you talk about on your website many different types of hoyas, but. Is there any particular Hoya that is your absolute favorite? Well, I've always said if I could only grow one Hoya, it, it would probably be Hoya cumingiana. And uh, it's it's not that spectacular looking Hoya, but I it has a lovely scent of, uh, of cinnamon and spices. It grows very rapidly so that you could um, you could do any number of things with it. You could even wrap it around a topiary if you wanted to. Um, I, I just, I really like that plant. I've had some huge specimens over the years, some of them going like two meters tall, all wrapped around a trellis. So they finally get so big, I have to, uh, I have to get rid of them. But I, I always have one of those things going at, at any, any given time. When we're talking about Hoyas, is there a general care guide that we can apply to most of the species that we're likely and, and hybrids that we're likely to find in our garden centers? Do they, do they all need fairly similar growing conditions? And they, they, they do. Unfortunately, it was my lot in life to fall in love with a plant that, um, requires high humidity and, and, and likes it warm because that, that doesn't, um, isn't, um, very, good with the place that I, I live. But, um, but generally Hoyas like it, um, there's, there's basically three types of Hoyas. There's Hoyas that, um, do best in cool conditions, which, um, anywhere from the lowest 
tolerated temperature would be like uh, 10C to the highest tolerated temperature would be like 25C. And then the, inter the intermediate group of Hoyas, which is the largest number of Hoyas, they're, they're happiest from the, the lowest sustained temperature of, of around 15, 16 um, um, C to, um, and it doesn't ever want to be higher than like 35 C. And then there's the really warm temperature Hoyas, of which there aren't that many that like it extremely hot and they'll be happy over 35 to 40 C even. Um, they can, they can survive quite nicely in those temperatures. So, so basically that the largest group of Hoyas are that intermediate group of Hoyas. And, and, and I've never found a Hoya that doesn't do best in, in humid conditions. So in, in the house, you want to have, at least on pebble trays, keep your humidity up as, as high as, as possible. Um, even if you have the temperature right, um, if that air is dry, uh, it's, it's not going to, you're not going to be that successful with Hoyas. I recently got a humidity meter and mine's reading about 50% most of the time. Is that enough? That That is enough for the majority of the Hoyas. Um, th there are um, Hoyas, though, that, that really won't start putting on good growth until you get up into the 60 to 70% Hoyas. And my, my grow tents that I, that I keep in the basement, the humidity in those things rarely fall below 70%, but you can't have that in a typical house or you're going to run into mold and all kinds of other issues. But um, for your, for your typical Hoya, 50% is the, is going to be quite lovely for them. But if you get down into the low forties, it's, it's, it's not so good. Okay. Well, that's given me comfort. Is one of those really high humidity uh, Hoyas, Hoya linearis, because I've read lots of things about caring for this plant, which I, which I acquired in the form of some cuttings last year. Um, and I've read lots of things that, oh, this is one of the most difficult Hoyas to grow. But so far, mine seems pretty happy. But I'm just wondering if that one is generally classed as needing that extra humidity boost. It, it, it's not necessary for it to be that humid for that particular species. And by the way, if you're doing well with Hoya linearis, you have, you have a green thumb because that presents a, a lot of problems for, for many people. It's, it's, it's a tough Hoya to, to grow. Um, I, I grew one, uh, years ago and I lost it. So I'm looking for a chance to pick up another one, give that one another go. But if you can grow Hoya linearis, you're doing pretty well for yourself. Oh, well, I'm, I'm feeling rather pleased with myself now. <laughs> you should. <laughs> well, you know, my, my rule with Hoyas, uh, is just to just not water them until I think they're absolutely desperate for water. That's kind of, especially in the winter time, that my, they tend to be up on a high shelf above two rooms. And so they don't get watered very often. And I think that's what probably saves them because I just don't, uh, touch them too much in terms of, and d never fall into that classic trap of overwatering them. So I guess that's my, that, that's my experience with them. But I did have a, one thing I wanted to ask you about was I had a, a Hoya Carnosa. Tell me if this is a normal experience or not, but it was a variegated one. 
and it mm-hmm. started to throw out completely white stems with completely white leaves. And I thought, oh, this is exciting. How nice. That looks really kooky. And I was, you know, I was all excited about it. Yes. And then the plant just rapidly, rapidly, rapidly declined and just started to die and to my horror. And I just <sighs> managed to save. I managed to take some cuttings from the one healthy stem, which is, I hasten to say, not the uh, totally white stem. And I've now got it going again. But does that sound like a familiar story with with Hoyas that they get this one got to about six or seven years old and then it it just seemed to start getting very unhappy and I never quite worked out what I'd done wrong that is a, a very familiar story I've, I've seen it a lot on online it's never it's never happened to me because I don't grow that many variegated Hoyas but um, those all white leaves Apparently, they can rapidly um, deplete your plant of energy. And, and the first thing you should do when you see those, despite the fact that they're lovely and unusual, is to cut that vine um, off because it will rob the, the energy from your plant. And eventually, it, it's hard for me to believe because I haven't experienced it myself, but supposedly it will rapidly kill your, your plant. That's so interesting. I've learned my lesson now. I mean, I knew it for garden plants, you know, if a garden plant does that, you know, I'd immediately cut off that growth, but it just seemed so cool on an indoor plant that I couldn't mention. It is it. cool. <laughs> but I, I think in future, I will definitely be removing uh, any, any time that happens again, I'll be uh, getting onto that because it was so tragic because it was such a big and lovely plant that had been flowering and, you know, was really happy. And then... Yes, we hate to lose those kind of plants. <laughs> yes. Tell me about potting mixes, seeing as we're kind of getting on to care. I always wonder whenever I repot these things, I'm always kind of like slightly on a wing and a prayer in terms of what I have available and what to pot them into. And it usually ends up as some kind of random mix of John Innes number two and it's probably some perlite and that's about it. And I never quite know if I'm hitting the mark. What potting mixes do you use for your Hoyas, Doug? Well, I've made elaborate potting mixes in the past, and as a matter of fact, I made a YouTube video that's very popular on making a potting mix, but it, it, it goes it goes too far, um, and now I'm much lazier with my, my potting mixes. Basically, I take a good uh, peat-based potting soil, and I add about 25% uh, extra perlite or sponge rock to it just to make it a chunkier mix. If I have some um, small orchid bark around, I'll throw that in there too, but... Um, your basic peat-based potting mix just amended with, a, you know, about a quarter of its weight with um, perlite or sponge rock. It gives it the, the roots enough aeration yet keeps them um, able to retain enough water, keeps it moist enough. That that seems to work pretty well for me. I, I don't. I think it's best to not stray too far from what you know the best. I've tried all kinds of different potting mixes and experiments with Hoyas over the years, and sometimes you can um, you can really mess it up when you you try something too different. Also, when I, I'm watering a Hoya, it's surprising how much I rely on the weight of the pot and and and. Uh, I, I can tell by lifting a pot whether a plant needs to be needs to be watered. Besides, also with a ch- very chunky mix with Hoyas, it's hard to put your finger down into that into the mix because it's so it's so um, uh, 
thick with with um, perlite and rocks. You can't push your finger down there. So a lot of times I rely on weight. So when I try something really strange and and add um, other things that are heavy, it throws off my my watering gauge. So um, so I think it's best not to to stray too far from what you know. And there's a renaissance of the terracotta pot at the moment. Do, do these plants like a terracotta pot or are they happier in plastic? Generally, a terracotta pot um, is not a great idea with Hoyas. They um, they dry out the mix from the edges too quickly. You're, you're really better off with a, with a plastic pot. If you're going to use terracotta, it should be um, glazed in some kind of way so that it doesn't, it doesn't do that. You would think that Hoyas liking it kind of dry in the winter and everything, that terracotta would work, but in my experience, it, it's not a good pot for Hoyas. And when you come to... Uh you've repotted your plant i guess is that a is that a springtime activity generally for for hoyas or as and when i also worry sometimes i hear that these plants like to be root bound and i wonder kind of well how root bound how do i know on a scale of uh this isn't even a phrase a root boundedness when i need to act because um there's root bound and there's root bound how do you judge that <laughs> that's definitely true um <laughs> Pretty much the, the story that Hoyas really love to be highly root bound in, in order to flower. It, it's, it's folklore or it's an old wives tale. Um, I try not to go longer than two years on repotting any, any Hoya. Um, I find that they, they really don't like to be pot bound and, and my, my Hoyas, they, they flower profusely most of the time and they, that, that, High, tight, tight root ball where it can't move or or breathe. It's uh, it's just it's not great for Hoya. They they will the growth on them will begin to decline and, and the flowering goes away. I've heard stories of people leaving Hoya carnosis in the same pot for forty years, but but um, in most cases th- those people that tell me that they wonder why their plant doesn't flower any longer, and uh, it, it really doesn't like to be. Um, pop down to that degree it's, it's interesting because there's such a proliferation of information out there on the internet and and not all of it is uh is reliable so that's good to hear from you that the that the chapter in reverse on that what about pests and diseases touchwood i don't think i've ever had any pests on my hoyas is spider mite an issue for these guys um it's basically the three pests that will um go after Hoyas, um, aphids, mealybugs, and, and, and spider mites. Um, mealybugs are, are the worst of the pests for the, for the Hoyas because if you get an infestation of those with all of the nooks and crannies and different leaves of Hoyas, you're, you're, you're in trouble. But I, I, have, I myself have not had any real problem with uh, mealybugs. But spider mites, on the other hand, have been, um, uh, they periodically will flare up for me. And um, what I do to get rid of them, and, I, and strangely enough, I haven't had problems with spider mites in the regular house on the windowsills and stuff, but in my grow tents, they will periodically flare up. And I use a, a high concentration of uh, neem oil. It's a product called Azimax, which is like really refined neem oil that's in very concentrated and I spray everything with that and it takes care of them in, in, in very short order. They, they, they can't survive that. And, and 
And when you can keep the humidity high enough too, it also discourages spider mites. I think it's always a fingers crossed situation with these things, isn't it? You just hope that you never have a really bad outbreak because uh, you know it's absolutely true. It's going to be so much work. It is many serious Hoya growers. They don't even fool around with taking a chance, and they they use a systemic called imacloprid. And it takes the the um, the stuff up into its tissues, and when um, uh, a mealybug or an aphid bites it, they're instantly and they're instantly dead. And uh, a lot of growers have gone to using that product, but I I don't recommend using that, especially if you ever put your hoyas outside, because uh, there's a, there's a fear that that chemical could um, be causing some of our bee collapse. So I really I discourage people from using it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those things where the large scale growers, you know, it's one thing. But for us, I mean, even if you've got 100 plants, uh, hopefully if you're if you're keeping the conditions right. Also, I think, you know, spider mite strikes when perhaps when that humidity is a bit low and the plant is a bit stressed, it's much more likely to take hold. Absolutely. for a short break i'll be back with doug shortly but let's hear about another british podcast that's definitely worth a listen hello i'm sarah wilson from the roots and all podcast on the podcast i talk about gardening indoors and out with some of the most knowledgeable people around listen and find out the answers to things like why you should plant a tree in a square hole not a round one whether or not that fox that comes in your garden is going to try and eat your cat why we've been growing alliums all wrong, why we keep killing our cacti and succulents, how we can deal with slugs if we don't want to kill them, why we as gardeners should be worshipping at the feet or bellies of earthworms, what you can expect if you hire a garden designer, whether or not you need a gardener and how much you should pay them, how to disbud dahlias, how to water your houseplants, what is biochar, what is the perfect tree for a small garden, what are the best plants for wildlife, Anyway, you get the picture. There's loads of great information for growers, so I'd love it if you'd join me for an episode. Find the Roots and All podcast on iTunes or your usual podcast provider, or you can listen direct from my website, www.rootsandall.co.uk. Let's have a little chat about light. Are there any Hoyas that can survive in in really shady spots or, or really sunny spots, or do they all like that kind of elusive, bright, indirect light spot? It's surprising how adaptable Hoyas are. Um, I, I, For the most part in my house, I, I don't have good window light. I have a lot of north windows, and it, it constantly... Um, surprises me what will end up flowering. I have Hoya courtesy eye flowering right now, and I originally made a video on that plant uh, a number of years ago about how I would I moved it everywhere in the yard following the sun. I would move it three times a day to follow the sun, so it would have full sun and it flowered. So I thought, oh wow, the only way that that thing can can flower is in full sunshine, and and that's what I reported. But in the past couple of years, the plant has flowered in a north window in the darkest, dreariest days of the year. So, so it, Hoyas are constantly surprising. They're very adaptable. Um, indirect light is great. Uh, two to three hours of, of morning sun is, is probably the, the ideal. Um, it, it, they'll also do well with a, a little bit of sun in the in the afternoon. So um, th- they are pretty adaptable for for the most part. 
The only Ho- Hoyas that require um, like full sun most of the time are these Eristemas, which I don't even fool around with. Um, like louder baki, they they get these huge um, like tennis ball size flowers, and a lot of people want to grow them, but they don't make a. You'll never flower them in household conditions. I've never heard of anyone even flowering it in um, in the United States, even in South Florida. So I, I stay away from those because it, it just takes up too much room for too little reward. We're talking about flowers. One of the wonderful things about flowers is the huge variety and sheer interest in the different types of flowers. What are some of the more exotic and flashy of the Hoya flowers that you can easily grow in a home environment? The easiest Hoya to get a large flower on, in my opinion, for your typical home grower is Hoya imperialis. Um, I, I, I love this plant. It gets large flowers um, three inches across. I've, I've measured many of them. They're absolutely spectacular, and, and people can't seem to get enough of them every time I, I post a picture. I have a couple of different ones flowering right, right now. And in a typical household conditions, I think that's the easiest um, large-flowered Hoya to impress your friends with. Um, Hoya McGillerii, which was the first large-flowered Hoya that I, um, I bloomed, uh, is it, totally spectacular. Um, but what it requires to bloom is you've got to have a consistent number of 12 to 14-hour day-length days in order to do that. And like where you would live, you would need to use a grow light to, um, to achieve that. But it, it's, it's absolutely worth it. It's totally beautiful, beautiful flowers. And, and what I like about um, McGillery over Imperialis is it doesn't drip ne- nectar. We should also talk about that's one annoying feature of uh, m- many Hoya flowers is they will drip copious amounts of nectar, which can make a tremendous mess. In the house, and the imperialis is really bad for that. As a matter of fact, I have to bag my flowers in in plastic bags to catch all the all of the the drips right now. Otherwise, you quickly cover your leaves, and then that attracts sooty mold, and then that, that's a that's a mess. So, the ideally, my ideal hoya is not a heavy nectar dripper. Yeah, I can. I, I've occasionally thought, "What is that on the floor?" And then suddenly you realise it's your hoya that's just dripping all over the place. Yes, multiflora and lochiae are the same thing. Um, and, and I've cut off massive amounts of flowers and just thrown them out because I couldn't deal with the uh, the mess. Well, we, we've been talking about cutting things off. So one of the questions from my listeners was, "How do you prune hoyas?" Um, any tips on that, Doug? Well, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I seldom prune my hoyas, but um, I, I do take off any yellow or dying leaves or or vines that might be shriveling. I, I cut that off to make the, the plant look better. Uh, if if you're going to um, uh, prune your hoyas, I, I would uh, cut them just above the above the leaf node. It makes it look a little better. Another thing, uh, pruning hoya is an incredibly messy business for the most part. That that milky sap that um, that drips out of them will just get on everything. So it's it's best a job to do when you can take it outside in the summertime and you have a, a hose and you can keep spraying it off to keep the um, the latex from drying on your on your plant leaves. 
Oh, okay. That's a good tip. Um, another question that came from a listener was about propagation, which I guess is worth talking about in conjunction with pruning, because yes. of course, some of those pruning bits can then be turned into what I just learned from my, I'm, I'm studying for an RHS uh, level two qualification, and I just learned the term propagules. <laughs> wow, that's a new one for me too. I know a propagule is like a unit of propagation, whether it be a seed or a cutting or or, or anything else. It's a propagule. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, word for the day. Yeah, exactly, propagules. Um, so uh, when when it comes to propagating hoyas, I mean, my approach with my dying uh, carnosa was literally just to do the normal thing with a stem cutting and cut it so that it was just uh, above a leaf node and then trimmed to the bottom of the next leaf node and then stuck in some gritty potting mix, which seemed to work quite well. Is that the rule for all Hoyas or are there any special tips and tricks you've got? For 10 to 12 years, that was pretty much the the way that I um, propagated most of my Hoyas all all stem cuttings inserted into the uh, potting mix, and then I would put it in a, a homemade propagator with a heat mat underneath and, and extra humidity. And I was usually, you know, 90% successful using that method, and I, I, I still, it's still my go-to method. And years ago, people would talk about taking stem cuttings and using water to, to, to root the, the Hoyas. And, and all the experts at the time, uh, they just poo-pooed it. So I, I never, I never went in that direction until one of my, my YouTube vi- uh, viewers, um, I was having trouble with, with trying to root, um, the all white flowered Hoya Bella and it was nearly impossible. I would end up with 90, 95% unsuccessful time after time. And, the, and, and then the, the, the woman, told me she said why don't you try water she said i'm always 100 percent successful with water whatever i try so uh, i as much as i didn't want to do it and as much as i didn't believe in it i said i got to try an experiment so i took all of these different cuttings um difficult to root cuttings and i put them all in their own individual little jar of water and lo and behold what did i get 100 percent success the First time. So I, I was blown, <laughs> I was blown away by that. So I will never uh, poo poo uh, water rooting ever again for Hoya. So that seems to work very well um, to root um, stem cuttings. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? I was always of the same view of, of being a bit snobby <laughs> yes. about, about water cultivation. And then I suddenly thought, what, this, why am I not trying this? And then realized that it worked for all kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes the experts aren't necessarily on top of all the different things that are possible. That is true. I guess the nice thing about cuttings is that most of the time you can, you know, it's, it's no, if it doesn't work, it's hopefully no great loss. And you can kind of try again and try different techniques and see what works. Have you ever tried growing Hoyas from seed? I've grown a number of Hoyas from seed. And it, I think it's something that everybody ought to try at least um, at least once. Uh, the Hoya that I recommend uh, as the best candidate um, for that, especially for, for newbies, is Hoya papashonii. It's this tiny, tiny little flowered Hoya. That it, it almost seems like it's there's the the blooms are self fertilizing because there is no possible way that these plants are being pollinated in my house. There's not a fungus gnat. There's there's no absolutely no insects. And this plant flowers and produces seed pods all year round. 
And I grow this Hoya in nothing but um, sphagnum moss. And it's, 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 it's so easy to propagate from, from seed. Another thing about Hoya seed, it has a very short lifespan. So you want to make sure that if you get um, seed that you plant it right off because um, most of the times um, in a couple of months that seed won't be viable anymore. Well, that's good to know. I don't know if you're aware, but we have a, a, a sow along coming up where we try sowing lots of houseplant seeds. So it's useful to know um, that for Hoyas because I'm always amazed by the range of different things that listeners decide to grow. So um, knowing that lots of them love Hoyas, that's a, that's a great tip. Going back to the flowers, another question I had was, when is a plant mature enough to flower? Is it to do with maturity or is it just getting those right amount of day length? If we, if I knew the answer to that, I could get every, every, every Hoya <laughs> to, to flower for me. It, it, it varies so much. Um, I just had a Hoya flower in two months in a, in a jar of uh, water. So that would be on the uh, one one extreme, and then I've had Hoyas for five or six years that have yet to produce produce a flower for me. So getting those, uh, figuring that out is is nearly impossible. Your typical your typical Hoya is going to flower um, anywhere from six months of age to to two years of age. Um, that that is the vast majority, and, and then there are the other ones that fall outside of those boundaries. That's well, that's gives us a guideline at least. One question that comes up a lot is people who end up buying, particularly at this time of year around Valentine's Day, those individual Hoya Kerii leaves as kind of a heart in a pot. And they're wondering why it hasn't done anything a year later, it's just sitting there. Um, (laughs) does that make you, does that make you a bit sad or do you kind of look at it philosophically and say, well, okay, one in a hundred people might be converted to Hoyas this way. (laughs) I I think I take the, the, the latter, um, statement that you made. I I look at it kind of philosophically. I get this question uh, a lot. Um, I I think you have to enjoy that, um, that leaf for, for what it is. I've also seen, they also, they paint all kinds of different scenes on these things. I've seen them in, in Thailand, these single, uh, Oyakarii leaves that they will, um, paint scenes on. And, and obviously you can even get your name, um, put onto them and all kinds of different things. But the reason they don't turn into plants is they, they lack those meristematic, uh, cells that, the tissue that would allow them to form a plant. It just isn't there in the leaf. If you're lucky enough and they have, they got a little sliver of the vine, on that leaf when they um, when they took the cutting, then you actually might get a plant. But that's why you know 98 out of 100 will only remain leaves for the rest of their life. Yes, I did see somebody on Instagram who was had this lovely specimen which did grow from one leaf. But I think unfortunately that gives everyone else false hope <laughs> that yes, their plant's going to do the same, and and uh, the likelihood is it won't. And I can see it's clever marketing on the part of uh, plant it sellers. Definitely, yeah. Doug, tell us about your YouTube channel because um, this is something that I'm sure listeners will want to go and check out. Well, it all it all started uh, innocently enough, probably like seven or eight years ago. I was um, I was making time lapse. Um, videos of some of my Hoya flowers opening and I wanted to have some way of sharing this so I knew nothing about YouTube so I decided to um, make a 
make an account and post the Hoya McGillory AI, the, the Bloom's opening on it. And, and I got a lot of favorable feedback. And then one thing led to another. And, and I put up one video and then another video. And then I, I sort of moved away from the um, time-lapse photography because I guess once you've seen one, uh, a few sets of Bloom's open that way, the, 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 the appeal is gone. So I started not getting that many views on that. Then I started making how-to uh do different things with Hoyas, how to repot a Hoya, um, a root-bound Hoya, Hoyas growing Hoya semi-hydroponically. And then one video after another, now I have like 350 of them up. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. And, um, and I, it also is surprising to me about how many people really love Hoyas in the world because uh, I thought there were just a few nuts like me, but apparently there there are a lot of people because I have over three thousand subscribers mm. now to that little Hoya channel. Yeah, so, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I've had fun. Do with you it. think like other types of houseplants, Hoyas are kind of coming coming back? Then it's I, mean, I always think of them uh, his, historically as being kind of those plants that your nana had and that you might, uh, you know, as a child, maybe you kind of, they were just there and you didn't really pay much attention to them and they just sat there growing. Um, but they've kind of, I think in the last few years, they definitely have had this real uplift of interest along with other house plants, uh, which is really exciting to see. And they seem to be more widely available to, to, to buy, which is, which is fantastic. I mean, I, interestingly, uh, Episodes and episodes ago, when I last spoke to my friend and uh, fellow podcaster Alice Fowler, I remember her saying the reason why Hoyas are not more popular in terms of being able to buy them from nurseries is that generally once you've got a Hoya, they just they're around for the next 20 years. So from the nursery's point of view, they're not going to get any repeat sales. <laughs> Whereas if they sell you a maidenhair fern, you know, you're going to be back next month buying another one. <laughs> so, <laughs> That, that, that could very well be true. Um, I think the reason that there, there aren't more Hoyas in the nursery, I, I've asked myself this question um, a lot, and I believe it's because they are too slow growing for the most part for most nurseries to want to, um, to propagate them. They, they want something that will grow very quickly. They can get it in the, in the stores in, in a hurry, and generally Hoyas don't fit that that. Um, what they're looking for uh, that's that's the biggest reason i can come up with uh, why they're not more they're more not more available around here it's it's almost impossible there's like three three hoyas that are available d during the summer in the in the nurseries it's your basic carnosas and compactas and occasionally you'll get a um a, a, a ds70 and if you're really lucky you'll get a la canosa that um but other than that, you never see anything. If you want to get into the wide variety of Hoyas, you pretty much have got to go to collectors on, on eBay. And and myself, I've had to resort now to um, placing a, an order or two from, from Thailand every year. That Thailand is the, um, is the mecca center for all, all, all new Hoyas that are coming into the trade. Yeah. And one thing I didn't ask earlier, which I should have done when we were talking about various varieties, is... Uh, obviously, these can be grown as trailing plants or as climbing plants to some degree. Does it matter? Are there, are there certain species that prefer to trail down and certain ones that like to cling to things? Or uh, does it really not matter just according to your what space you've got? 
It's mostly according to what space you have, and as a as a general rule of thumb, the small leaf hoyas they um, they would in all likelihood prefer to grow hanging, and your your larger leaf hoyas would um, it would be it's much easier to grow them up a trellis. Um, um, standing up, especially the the stiff vine hoyas. I, I can't imagine trying to grow a hoya carii in a um, in a hanging basket. That would be a, a, a quite a quite an undertaking. So yeah, as a general rule, small leaf hoyas, hanging baskets, and the larger ones um, in, in trellised. Perfect. Well, I, it's been wonderful to talk to you about hoyas. I'm now going to go inside and look at all my hoyas and check they're okay because I'm feeling guilty that I. <laughs> I haven't got them down from the shelf in a few weeks. But the great thing about them is actually is that I know they'll be fine because they're, you know, they're just kind of sitting there resting through the winter and hopefully they're going to burst into life a bit more in the springtime. But um, let me tell you what Hoyas I've got so far and you can tell me what I should, what else I should get. So I've got my Linearis and I've got my variegated Carnosa. And I think the only other Hoya I've got is a cutting of Matilde. So what should be my next purchase, Doug? Well, you really should get one of the really fragrant type Hoyas so that you can experience the, the perfume. That it's, it's absolutely amazing. You can perfume an entire house with a single bloom on some of these, these Hoyas. So you, you've got to get something in your collection that would um, be fragrant. For a recommendation, you know, there, there's several, um, if you want a small leaf variety, Lacanosa, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, readily available, that would um, fill the bill. Ahoya Calicina, um, it's just a mind-bogglingly beautiful um, fragrance coming coming out of there. Ahoya Griffithii, it's the same thing. Uh, so, so one of those, or you should at least have an Australis in your collection, which um, has beautiful smelling flowers. Okay, well, that's the shopping list set up, Doug. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll send complaints from my husband direct to you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I have a very tolerant wife, too, to put up with. This. Yeah, I, I find if I sort of slip them in without saying anything, usually he doesn't notice. So it's, it's, and then suddenly he goes, Where have all these plants come from? But uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's very tolerant. Well, it's, it's lovely to talk to you, Doug. Is there anything else that you wanted to raise before, before I let you go? Just one other thing I want to touch on. Uh, the first year of a Hoya's life is its most vulnerable. Once you get it past that first year, um, they're a lot, lot harder to kill. And um, the biggest thing that I've learned in the past couple of years as far as growing Hoya's is to um, grow them in a series of, of net pots. Um, because with a net pot, you can actually really tell when it needs to be watered, not just when the surface is is dry, but sometimes when the surface is dry, I can pull up the net pot and then I can see from the edges. I keep a net pot within a cat in a cash pot so that you don't want to grow it just in a net pot with no cash pot because the, the, the it would dry out too quickly. But you can pull the net pot out of the cash pot and then you can see the um, whether it needs to be watered or not by observing the sides. Ah, so yeah, um, that's a really good tip. That was a huge, huge, um, the best thing I've learned in the past couple oh, of years. Oh, well, that's a really excellent tip to end on. Thanks so much, Doug. You're very welcome, Jane. It was fantastic talking to you.
Patreon subscribers of five bucks a month or more will be able to hear more from Doug from Vermont Hoyers in the coming week when I'll be putting up an extra leaf number 22, which contains more of Doug's interview, including his chat about Dishidias, or is it Dischidias, how to grow Hoyers in semi-hydro culture and Hoyers for extra small spaces. If you're not a Patreon subscriber and would like to be one, do visit the show notes at janeperone.com to find out how. That's all for this week's show. I do hope you've enjoyed it, but do let me know what you think. As always, the comments are open on the website. Take care. Bye. in this week's show was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops an instrument the boy called Happy Day Gukana by Samuel Corwin and Plantation by Jason Shaw all licensed under Creative Commons see janeperone.com for details (laughs) 